Hello, Jamie here. If you've been enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, I have a brand new Patreon page and signing up will grant you access to the Right and Wrong Discord server, where you can interact directly with many of the authors, agents and editors who have been guests on the show. You can also interact with me and see what guests are coming up so you could maybe suggest questions that I could ask them. Thanks again for listening. And I really do appreciate any and all support that you guys give me for the podcast. Let's get back to it. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These. <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. Nailed it. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I'm joined from all the way across the pond by novelist and writing coach, Mary Adkins. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks so much for coming. Let's start with, uh, there's lots of things I want to talk about, but let's start with the novels. You've got, uh, is it three books published? Yes, three novels, um, all published with HarperCollins. Um, And actually, two of them were published with Hotter in the UK, the first two. Oh, okay. So the most recent one is Palm Beach, came out last year. Yes. And then you had uh, Privilege the year before that. And your your debut, When You Read This, came out in, in 2020. In tw- that one was 2019. Oh, was so, it 2019? Yeah, it was 2019, 2020, and 2021. And sometimes when people hear that, they think that I wrote them all that quickly, and I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Was the, were they all written sort of in advance of that then? Um, all the first two, yes. And, um, and in fact, I, um, in a couple of countries sold the first, my agent sold the first two together as a, as a bundle. So they had, they had, um, the first one was written. The second one was drafted and then, but, but the, my third novel Palm Beach, I did write over, over the last few years. So, um, but so the, the, my first novel took me about six years to write. Um, so I had actually, I'd been working on that for quite a while before it came out. Oh, okay. And so you'd work in that one for six years and presumably got your, signed your agent with that novel. Did you yes. then, during the process of that sort of going out on submission and stuff, write the second one? I wrote the second one before we went out on submission. So oh, okay. my agent and I, you know, it's interesting because I, uh, now that I'm working with with writers, I see all different kinds of arrangements that they end up having with their agents and um, different kinds of relationships. So I'm really seeing like what the spectrum is. In my case, my agent and I worked on my book like a lot before we went out on submission. I mean, yeah. for, for about a year. So I, cause she had lots of notes and she wanted to see some revisions. So I would, I would revise, I would send her a draft and then she would take some time to get back to me, like sometimes even a couple of months. And during that time, I wouldn't know what to do. So I started the next novel. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why, that's how I ended up with a draft of that novel um, before we even went out on submission with the first one, um, was just essentially kind of juggling projects like that. Oh, okay. And it, but it was only to the, to some of the foreign publishers that that you, the international publishers that you actually went with two books to say, oh, look, exactly. do you want to print both? Oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So all of your books are, um, would, would you say sort of thought provoking dramas? Is that an apt description? 
Yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> I would say that. And then the, the first one I would say um, also has a lot of humor. Like that's the only that's the only novel of my three where people tell me that they laugh out loud a lot. And that was intentional. I tried to make it. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's not like what? <laughs> Um, and the other two I would not say are laugh out loud. I think you, you described them perfectly. Okay. Okay. And is this very much the style that you've always wanted to do and that you will probably continue to, to do? You know, it's funny. I think I really, uh, the style I always wanted to do was I wanted to be George Saunders. So (laughs) (laughs) I think I wanted to write like a lot quirky, like quirkier. I wanted to write short stories. Um, I wanted them to be weird and that's just not what came out. So, (laughs) I mean, I think I've, I've kind of become a, and I'm still not, you know, I haven't like written off that possibility. Maybe one day I will write in that style, but I think, I don't know if my experience is, um, like I know all writers have different approaches, but in my experience, I think I have found success in really leaning into what comes to me more naturally than like trying to write in a certain style, stylized way that's not as natural to me. Okay. And that's really how I've landed here. So I sort of, like all three of my novels were stories that just you know, kind of came to me and I just wrote down what I was seeing in my brain and that, which I know is like how most fiction writing, (laughs) how most fiction writers would describe fiction writing. But, um, like that's how they came out. I wouldn't say that it was like, I decided that this is the kind of book I want to write. This just seemed like to be the kind of book that came to me and that I was capable of writing. So that's what I did. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. And I I do know that sort of once you have signed, um, a, a book deal that you kind of, as an author, sort of do get a brand. And whilst I'm, there's a lot of authors that do cross genres and age groups, it, it is often pushed um, that you will continue to do the thing that you do. Do you, do you feel like that's part of it, or do you feel like this is these are just always the stories that come to you, and they are kind of they do kind of follow the similar kind of trend? Well, interestingly, I do I do feel like these are the stories that have come to me, and they followed this trend in fiction, but. Um, I'm actually working on a memoir right now. So it's a really, um, it's a turn for me. And it's because I tried to essentially fictionalize what I wanted to write about, which was a fertility struggle that I've had. And I, as I was putting together a fiction, um, a fictional outline, um, basically to, to kind of pitch the novel version of this, it could, I, I, it was like, no, I can't. I don't actually want to write this as fiction. Like it just felt like hauling a big suitcase uphill. So I decided to just completely set that aside and turn to nonfiction. So now I'm working on a memoir and and when I go back to fiction, yeah, I don't know. Like it'll be interesting. I mean, um, I, I haven't written books that I think are in a similar vein at all because of pressure from my editor that these are just the ones that came to me. And so, um, I don't know how open, you know, I don't know how open future editors would be to like a pivot, but (laughs) I'm guessing pretty open because I'm not, you know, my book, my book hasn't sold like Stephen King or anything. So they're probably pretty (laughs) open to a pivot. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Cause I, I, well, I was going to ask, are you, do you have any interest in, in exploring different genres or, or age groups? But obviously now you're, you're doing, 
um, memoir. So is that yeah. is that does it feel very different? Is it a sort of a learning curve writing in that way versus the fiction? Yes, it really is. It's so different and um, uh, harder in in a lot of ways um, for me because I just I'm not quite used to being quite so vulnerable in my writing for for others to read. Um, and also it it was interesting. I was talking with a writer about this the other day with, with my novels. I, I've always been really open to feedback. In fact, I I love feedback. I love getting notes from my agent and editor because in my view, like it's just making the book better. So when they have ideas, it's like, great. I'm, I'm, and they've both said like, wow, you're very open to our ideas. (laughs) At one point my agent said, I think you're a little bit too open to my ideas. but I, but I always loved feedback for fiction and for memoir, it's proving to be more complicated because Mm. I think, and, and part of that is just the sheer fact that like, I can't invent things. So, (laughs) you know, in fiction, I can be like, well, we don't really know much. We, we, it's hard to relate to this character in this moment. Can you let us inside her head more? What was she thinking? And I can just invent what she was thinking, right? Like you just make it up. But if it's like, I'm having trouble relating to you in this moment and this thing that happened in your life, what were you thinking? I can't make that up because it's nonfiction. And so it's like, well, well, if I don't, but what if I wasn't thinking anything? I don't remember. And so if you like it, it I'm just like coming up against the constraints of memory yeah. and, um, and probably also like my own level of comfort with what I'm willing to share. And so it feels, it's almost like I have less raw material to work with because the sky's not the limit anymore. Like I can't just come up with completely fictional things. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. And that's cha- that's kind of challenging. Yeah, because I mean, writing is always, no matter what you're writing, I think um, it's always a very personal thing because mm-hmm. it's all your words. Like any, um, I've had lots of agents come on and, and sort of talk about how precious it is that they get submitted these very raw kind of versions of of stories and books, manuscripts, and that it is, it is a very vulnerable thing. So you know, kudos to anyone for writing something and then sending it out to the world. But I guess writing a memoir about yourself is, um, yeah, it's, I guess also if someone's sort of critiquing it in a weird Mm -hmm. way, they're kind of like critiquing your life and like you very personally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's funny because at one point I, um, I submitted some pages of my my memoir to my writing group. And again, I'm just I'm used to writing fiction and yeah. so and so I'm they, they know me as very receptive to feedback and they've known me for a long time. So I think they were just taking the same approach with memoir of like just be very blunt with Mary. And someone said something like um oh, you know, you might want to leave out this part because it's not very like flattering to you. You may get some, (laughs) you may get some criticism. (laughs) And I was thinking, wait, this feels like a criticism of my life, (laughs) (laughs) like my decisions, not my writing. And it was, it was just such a weird experience. It was the, um, you know, I, I think that was the, that was a good wake up call for me in terms of just kind of knowing 
or expecting a difference in how I process feedback when it's when it's not fiction and being prepared for that or just realizing like maybe it's too early and I want to wait and be more selective about what I share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be really brave and send it to some people and not tell them it's memoir. Say it's yeah. fiction. <laughs> See what they say. <laughs> so brave. I'm not that brave. <laughs> Let's talk about um your your work outside of your your own writing because you are also a writing coach. How long have you been doing that? So I started uh teaching online novel writing in <clears throat> the spring of 2019 shortly after my first novel came out and it's because it was interesting because I was I did a book tour for my for my novel when you read this coming out and a lot of the questions on book tour would be from writers and just questions like how did like how long did it take you did you outline how did you get an agent um how do you get published and I realized that I had actually acquired a lot of uh information that could be helpful to people over the six years that I had been working on the book and pitch and querying agents, you know, unsuccessfully for a really long time. And, um, and just like learning through hobbling together a bunch of writing classes, like what to do, what not to do. And some of those writing classes had been really terrible. And so I think I had also like learned what to steer clear of, at least for myself. So it was after that book tour that I thought, I think I actually have some stuff to teach that could be helpful to people. And so I put together, um, uh, I put together my first course called the Twelve Week Book Draft, and it was just walking through, pe- uh, walking people through writing a first draft in twelve weeks. And it was so much fun, and I loved it. It was all online, um, and so then I just kind of got addicted to it. (laughs) (laughs) So I just kept expanding and um, essentially turned it into, well, not, okay, I'm going to teach you to write your book. And then I'm going to, because I had some students, some early students. I honestly don't even remember how people found me, how I got them, but I (laughs) I did. And then when they finished the, you know, it was exciting because it worked. Like they wrote their drafts and I was excited and they were excited. And then it was like, okay, they were like, okay, what now? And then I, it was like, okay, I guess I need to teach you how to revise it. (laughs) So then I had a revision course (laughs) Um, and then they revised it. And then they were like, what now? And I was like, I guess I need to teach you how to get an agent. So eventually it evolved into um, like a comprehensive program. So there's writing and then there's revising and then there's pitching. And that's what I do now is the, is the whole thing. So you, uh, you said originally it was a 12 week sort of outlining thing. Is, is that, not really. You don't really use that anymore. It's you've sort of amalgamated it all into. Yeah, it's included now, but it's part of a bigger comprehensive program. So they'll they'll write their draft in twelve weeks and then revise it, and then uh, I help them put together their query package and help them query. So it's it's actually a year long now. Um, okay. They, they sign up for twelve months to right. work with me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How many? I mean, that seems like a lot of work. How many? Uh, students or clients do you have on the go at sort of per year? Um, so I have worked, let's see, how many graduates do we have? I think I've, I've had 50 as in five zero wow. people go through the full program at this yeah. point. Um, cause we are what, oh my gosh, that was 2019. So I'm like <laughs> four years in. 
We're only just um, in 2023. It's not that bad. Right. That's, <laughs> it's just crazy, though. I feel like this just happened yesterday. The pandemic yeah. really threw off my sense of time. Oh, yeah, same. Just deleted two years, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like they didn't even happen. But I was doing this the whole time. It was just online. So Okay. Um, and that actually, I think the pandemic, um, it, it was, the timing worked out, I think, really well for me starting this this program because there, there seemed to be a lot of people who, you know, like we were all at home looking for things to do. Yeah. And so I think that that also helps me connect with writers who are like, I mean, now's as good time as ever to write a novel. So here, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the main program, that's the, the incubator. That's what you call it. The right? book incubator. Yeah. It's called oh, okay. the book incubator and it's really people working on novels or memoirs who I help. Um, mostly they're novelists, but we do have a few people writing memoir as well. Okay, cool. So, so 12 weeks of getting book up to scratch. I, I, I assume it's much more, um, ad hoc, like it's much more down to each person and where, what stage. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 But you'll get, you'll get the book up to scratch. We'll do some edits, teach them sort of how to edit and then go into submissions and, and things like that. Exactly. And we actually have, um, I have two editors in the program who, uh, who will edit the we call it a pitch readiness read. They read your manuscript mm-hmm. and give you edits that they think are important before you start querying agents or if you want to self-publish, you know, before you before you go out and and take the dive into the publishing phase. Um and so it's kind of meant to be what I wanted to do was to assemble all of the things that I had just sort of stumbled on for myself when I was going through the process. Like at, I, I did hire a developmental editor for my first book, but I didn't even know what a developmental editor was until I was about five years into writing it. Um, and I, at first I hired one who didn't work out very well for me. Like we didn't have the same vision. And then I found a one who did. And so it was, it was all that trial and error that, um, that really contributed to me figuring out what I wanted to include in this program. And I really also wanted it to be, by the time I was, I had the writing, revising and querying aspects in it. I I decided I wanted it to be like the last, like the last writing program (laughs) anyone would need. So like, you don't have, like you get everything you don't have, it's not like, Oh, you do this and then you need to go out and find something else. Um, It's like, let's just, I'm going to show you how to do all of it. Is it the the goal is sort of like, you once you once you're they've sort of they're submitting to agents or they sign with an agent the agent is then you know the role of the agent is very much to sort of take them on from the, that point and deal with the next steps of, of everything exactly yeah. yeah exactly and then the only thing that has kind of been missing just because I don't have history in this is self-publishing um and so I have been working on trying to figure out how to bring that in because there are so many people now who want to independently publish and it's such a valid route. And, um, I think an increasingly like appealing route, like I, I, you know, it's like, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to go, go that direction. So, um, but I'm that, you know, that's an area that I'm, a I, I have not had personal experience in that yet. So I'm having to educate myself. 
Yes, I think it's it's a bit it's a bit of a wild west as well at the moment. Self publishing, where there's yeah. sort of so many people are having success, but they've come at it in so many different ways, like so many yeah. different directions. And there's so much it like I feel like there's so much speculation of people trying to figure out what the formula is. You know, they're like, yeah. it's TikTok, and you're exactly, like, well, it yeah. can't just TikTok's <laughs> not going to work for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's it's almost the same as like social media, and it's like, okay, how do we make a viral thing? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. one does not simply just make a viral thing. You know, that's not how <laughs> yeah. it works. You've got all these right. brands who are like, oh, let's just make a viral post for it. And I'm like, that's really not how the internet works. <laughs> right, right. So like, let's just do it. Just yeah, do exactly. it. Just make it viral. <laughs> or as if you could do that by algorithm, you know. Well, yes. Eventually it'll all be algorithm, right? So <laughs> we won't have to do anything. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to um stuff that you that you do know you do experience we were talking about how you know the program uh sort of teaches the things that you learned when you were first getting signed and getting your book published um how did you find uh your agent oh man through a lot of rejection i Um, I, I had over 70 rejections. I kept wow. track of the, the agents I was querying in a spreadsheet, of course. That's very honest, sensible. But that's what I did. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's how I know that it was over 70. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's funny cause sometimes I share that. And even when I'm saying it, I'm like, why did I keep going? <laughs> but I, I think that I had, I had like just enough positive feedback to keep me going. So, like, yes, they were rejections, but uh, enough of them were like affirmative rejections that I kept going. So, you know, like, um, if someone's wondering what a good rejection from an agent would look like, it would be something like, Hey, this doesn't quite work for me, but like, I'm confident that you will find an agent for it. So it's basically someone being like, Hey, I'm not the person, but I feel like you will find a person. Um, or someone saying, Hey, this isn't the right thing for me, but I really like your writing. So if you have anything else in the future, feel free to send it. Like that kind of thing is very, it made me think like, okay, so this person thinks I can write and that feels good. And like, that feels good enough that I'm going to keep trying with this book. Um, and so, yeah, it took me it, 70 rejections and that was over about f- three years. So I was querying um, for a few years and it was this kind of iterative process where I would get some rejections and then they sometimes they would say things like, mm, this doesn't, um, I didn't really relate to this one character. And so I would think, okay, well, maybe I should do some more revising. So then I would, I would often revise based on the feedback I was getting from these agents who were rejecting me and then submit another round. So that's the reason for the, for it actually occurring over years is that it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just sending out the query letters and, you know, it's just sitting on the same manuscript. I was doing a lot of revising in the meantime. Yeah. I do think that's, that's actually not so irregular. I think there's lots of, um, lots of, uh, Six, like very famous successful authors have talked about how many rejections they had. And I think between 50 and mm-hmm. hundred is, is a lot of the time very par for the course. Oh, um, good. Okay. I was wondering, <laughs> cause the other day I, I thought that, but then the other day, you know, I read a lot of, of blogs and newsletters and articles on writing and, um, uh, I don't remember who it was, but an author who is also a writing coach, 
wrote um, an article on querying and she said, if you have more than 20 rejections, like it means that your book, like your book is not working. And I thought, oh, (laughs) I had a lot more than that. Um, I think the the caveat there would be if you have 20 rejections and and you're not tweaking it or sort of, if you've had Mm. 20 sort of like um, blank rejection, like ghost rejections where, where you just get this sort of automated response of like, I'm sorry, this isn't right for us at this time, then, and, and you're not changing it and you're not, I, I think it depends right. on the rejections, you know, and I think that it also sense. depends on if you're still working on it. Right. Yeah. That that makes total sense. Like you don't want to just be getting dozens of rejections and not and not doing something different, right? Because exactly. like you want to be learning from what you're hearing back from people, especially if you're getting feedback. I, I hear a lot of people tell me the the this you know you're onto something when you're getting feedback because yes. so many rejections will just be like a thanks but no thanks. Yes. So yeah, like if they're actually taking the time to tell you, yeah, what they like or don't like, or I mean, and sometimes I'll tell writers because you know rejection's so hard, even when it's nice rejection. But like I, I'm working with a couple of people now in my program who are querying, and they're both getting that kind of rejection letter that says this book is not for me, but feel free to send me something in the future. And I try to tell them like. That is so good. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah, like yeah. The, the most, that is the top best rejection you can get because they're basically saying, I, I'm i a hot lead for you now. Like I am really interested in your writing. It's just this particular thing you wrote isn't for me. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And I'm, I, I, and any kind of, whenever people tell me they get a query back where there's like a specific, like you mentioned, oh, this character, I didn't really connect with them. That tells you that the agent has not only read it, but they've read it with a sort of intent and focus to, to yeah. kind of look through it and, and identify specific things to tell you. That's a really yeah. good sign. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Because realistically, we have to, as much as agents work very hard, they get so many submissions. They, a lot of the time, if they know that it's not going to work for them, they might stop reading it after page one because they oh, just yeah. know already. So you have to be realistic about these things. Yeah. And why wouldn't they? Like they're they're on such time crunch. I remember my agent telling me at one point that she gets like hundreds and hundreds of queries a week. And of course, like when you're getting that many, you're gonna you're gonna be really uh, quick to stop reading because what? Like how else are you even gonna get through all of all of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of agents um, over here in the UK that will that they'll close their submissions for you know, months just because mm. they're so not because they're like list is full and they don't want to take any more authors, but because they're the list of the pile of um, submissions that they have is so big that they have to stop taking new ones. Otherwise they'll never get through all of them. Yeah. They have to catch up. Exactly. Yeah. Cause they have to, the promise is that they will read every submission um, at least like, you know, have a look at every submission. So. Right. Wow. Yes. It's difficult being an agent. I don't know if I would be brave enough for that kind of role. I don't think I would. <laughs> I don't think I would. So something that I didn't mention in the introduction about you is that um, you used to be a lawyer and as you put it on your website, a recovered lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Was, were you always writing even whilst you were um, doing your, your law degree and like practicing? I was. Well, I was trying to. Okay. Um, uh, uh, not while I was getting my law degree, 
really uh, very much. Mostly I was during that time um, just enjoying school. I, I always loved school, so that was fun for me. But that's also why I thought I would like being a lawyer, and then I didn't. So on my on my first day of being a lawyer, I I knew I had made a huge mistake. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it was literally my first day. I thought, oh, boy. Oh, no. This I've is made not. a terrible mistake. <laughs> I had taken a wrong turn. <laughs> And I, I started looking for a new job immediately. I mean, oh, no. my first day. So I lasted, I was only a lawyer for like a practicing lawyer. I was only, uh, only one for seven months. Didn't even make it a year. Um, and I wasn't, and one reason it was so hard is because I did not have time to, I mean, I was, I was an associate at a big corporate law firm and that, and in New York city, and those are notorious for really kind of working their lawyers to death, which was definitely the case. I mean, I had a Blackberry. Are Blackberries still around? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. But at the time they were, we were given a Blackberry and you you were essentially, you were on call 24-7. So it was just like understood that you would just have your have your phone on and, and you could be oh. called at any time to do something. I remember getting assignments at like 11 p.m. Oh, and wow. so I didn't have time to write. And that was killing me because even in law school, I found time to write little things, you know, like a little, a short story here or there, like a little play, or I I would just, it it was always my creative outlet and kind of how I stayed sane. And yeah. So I think that was part of it too. um, The reason being a lawyer felt like such an ill fit was it just was, it, it was the scheduling as well. Like I just it was all consuming and, um, which of course is not healthy for anyone as a lifestyle. <laughs> but, um, in my case, it was just really difficult not to have that creative outlet. So, yeah, I understand. um, yeah, so I, I lasted seven months. <laughs> well, <laughs> and left. Well, well, during that seven months and, and then obviously the time you were, you were doing the degree and, um, did you, do you use any of that kind of legal knowledge, that legal know-how, do you bring it into your novels, into your writing? Oh yes, for sure. I mean, I especially my second novel, Privilege, is about a sexual assault on a college campus, and then the ensuing um, judicial procedure that happens on campus around it. And so that was really like a legal drama. I mean, that's what I was writing. And and at one point in one of the drafts that I had sent to my editor, it had um, like a case file in the middle, and I think the case file was like eighty pages long because it was <laughs> modeled on a real case file, and I included all of the legal terminology and everything. And there is a case file in the published version of that book, but it is about four times shorter. It's (laughs) because my editor said like, Mary, this is not, no one who is not a lawyer wants to read any of this. And also probably lawyers don't want to read this. (laughs) This They have to read it. tedious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm. And so I thought, oh, okay, okay. Because that, I mean, that's still really, that stuff is still really interesting to me. And so, yeah, I do think it, it came in. And then also... You know, it's funny because because I've thought a, a fair amount about this, like how being a lawyer helped me be a writer, and I think there's something about um, uh, having to sift through a lot of information and make sense of it that can actually be really helpful. So, I remember when I was working as a lawyer for only seven months, I w- <laughs> would be given. It would be be given these assignments that felt completely overwhelming. Like, hey, read these nine 
read these nine cases that are each 160 pages each and write up a memo summarizing them three days from now. And it's like, okay, I I cannot read 4,000 pages and actually understand it and summarize it in 72 hours. I literally <laughs> can't do that. So what, which is also like, what, why did, why, why was a human being asked to do stuff like that? Like it doesn't make any sense. And yet this happens in law all the time. And so it would be like, okay, what, how, how do I problem solve this situation? Like, how do I get my head around what is happening in this thing without actually reading all of it? And I think there's, there is an application to writing something like a book because when you know when when we're talking about a novel for example we're typically talking about unless it's like for children or maybe young adults although even that's going to probably be 70,000 words or more it's a it's a lot of words that you're trying to manage and trying to shape into a story and sometimes drafts you know i think there are some writers who have drafts that are like hundreds of thousands of words yeah. long and like how how do you make sense of all of that and try to organize it and structure it so that it reads well, like a story? And I, I think it's the kind of a, it's a related skill set, like having to organize that much information. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, totally. I, that, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, are you actually the second? Um, well, you're an ex-lawyer. I had uh, interviewed Leah Middleton um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a year or so ago, and she's she's a lawyer, and she wrote a, a book and said that it, her, hers is a sort of crime thriller. And she mentioned that, yeah, just knowing a lot of the sort of ins and outs of how cases work, which she finds very interesting, or, like really goes through into the into the book and everything. She tried to make sure everything was like correct and how like kind of the procedures would work. In yeah. The book. Yeah. Yeah. That cool. part's really fun. And then you probably, you know, there, um, even though not many people would even notice or care about that, it's like, well, you just want to get it right because you, <laughs> yeah. you yeah, have that you'll background. Know. <laughs> yeah. You'll know. Exactly. And then people that really love the book will also like probably look into it and be like, wow, that's so cool that that's exactly like what actually would happen and things like that. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Totally. Well, that brings us to the final question of the interview, which is, as always, Mary, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take? I, as I said to you a little while ago, (laughs) I've thought about this question for so long. Um, It's funny too, because I felt this pressure to pick something really impressive, you know? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) most people do. classic. (laughs) I'm like, what's wrong with me? I need to pick Shakespeare. Um, But I did not pick Shakespeare. I picked The History of Love by Nicole Krauss. Hmm. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not, but it sounds nice. It sounds like a heartwarming story. It is. It is. It's about about love, but across generations and, and, and unrequited love. And it's just beautiful and loss. Like it's just, it's a beautiful story. And I think it's still one of my favorite. It, it was published, I think, in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been one of my favorite books ever since I read it. And I think it's just the kind of book that would bring me a lot of comfort on a desert island. Yes, it sounds like a nice book to have in isolation. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. And I recommend it if people have not read it. It's beautiful. Amazing. Well, sounds like a great choice. Um, thank you so much, Mary, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your your writing and your work as a writing coach and uh, and, and your memoir, which is very exciting. It sounds like a really cool new um, writing adventure for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. This was really fun chatting. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Mary is doing, you can follow her over on Instagram at AdkinsMary or head over to her website, MaryAdkinsWriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. We also have a Patreon for insider access. And if you want more bookish discussion, check out my other podcasts, The Chosen Ones and other tropes. Thanks again to Mary and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.